Uh, hello, welcome to Swimming with Sharks, the podcast from Sail Sharks. I'm Mark Chapman, and in this podcast, we take you inside the Sharks, but also inside some of the biggest sporting organisations in the North West. Uh, so later on, as always, we'll meet another of the Sail Sharks first team players. Back home, lad. Back home, No there. brainer, lad. But on this pod, we're going to talk about how you develop the stars of the future and how you identify talent. Uh, so with us for this one, Ferg Mulcrone, uh, who is the head of the, or the academy manager here at Sale. We've got Ian Jones, the head of coaching at Burnley Football Club, and James Harper, the Sale prop, who came through the academy here to become a key part of the first team squad. What are the key attributes you are looking for when you first spot a young player? Oh, straight in, big yeah. question. Um, <clears throat> I suppose from the off, like talent ID, we're looking at spark of um, core skill, good athleticism uh, or good game awareness, really. Um, and that's probably the entry point to the programme here at Sharks. It starts at the DPP, which is under 14. Um, but I suppose before that, it would be with the schools and clubs, um, the rugby that they're playing there. Um, but we conduct assessment days to get into the DPP um, throughout the year. Um, and we have uh, a lot of coaches um, with eyes on the players. And they're probably the um, attributes that we that we look at. Are you you're looking earlier than 14, are you, though? Um, no, I suppose it's their rugby programme is starting earlier than 14. The schools and clubs in the North West that they're at, we're probably in conversation with quite a lot of um, coaches um, director of rugby's at schools and at clubs um, and in constant dialogue around players that are coming through the North West um, but we'll probably first have eyes on them around under 14. Are you looking for similar things? I mean I know, I know it, oh, it's a different sport but are you looking for similar qualities? Yeah we're looking for similar qualities. Are they athletic enough? Uh, can they handle the ball and do they love playing the game? But on, differently to Ferg, we're probably looking at children at seven years old, eight years old initially. So we're looking a lot younger down the spectrum. So uh, there's a beauty to what Ferg does where he looks at them with a little bit older, where they have game understanding, they understand the game, where we're probably looking at children who just love playing football, who can run uh, and enjoy playing football really. Um, <laughs> does that feel too young to you? I think in some settings it can be too young. I think it depends on the environment you create. So I, morally I do sort of battle with this a little bit in my head. Uh, when's the right time for children to come into this uh, elite environment? But the, the positives of being in the environment are amazing. They get great facilities, great coaching. Uh, they don't get the Sunday league parent on the sideline screaming and shouting and berate a referee. They get, we call it the... Uh, the Carlsberg of grassroots football. So if, if Carlsberg did grassroots football, this is what it looks like. Fun, enjoyment, playing with the friends in an unbelievable environment. That's the way we put a slant on it. Does that mean you keep parents away? No, parents... Uh, do you coach the parents then? Do we coach the parents? Uh, do we brainwash the parents? Do we... Uh, <laughs> the parents are a massive part of the children's development. They're with us eight hours a week, potentially, uh, they're in the car with the parents, they're at schools, they've got loads of people who have an influence on their life, but the parents are really, really important to the process. So if you if you don't embrace the parents and uh, let them know what the process is and how it happens, you're setting yourself up for, for trouble, really. So some clubs will do that. They'll ban their parents from watching training. Uh, what ban them from coming around where we try and get them in as much as, much as we can, really. 
where are parents an issue in in rugby? We'll bring James in a minute. But where, where do you have issues with parents? No, just try and <laughs> very careful what I say. Yeah. <laughs> no, we don't have issues with parents. We um, they're welcome to every training session, every game. Um, wet and windy through the uh, through the winter try and give them a tea coffee keep them dry um but it's more about for us sharing information with players um it's majority of the time it's them coming to us asking for a little bit of advice um in certain situations we do some player um parent forums throughout the year where we try and um educate them on what we're doing with the players where stressful moments might appear throughout the the season and what we feel is kind of best practice from our experience to help guide them through these moments. Um, at the risk of making you sound like a X Factor contestant, what, what's your journey been? Um, so obviously started off um, playing rugby at high school, never played rugby before I went to high school, um, Merchant Taylor, so kind of started off from that point, worked way up, I never, as I said, so I was in the bottom team, there, there was, there was A to D, I was in that D team when I arrived there, they were like, you're a big lad kind of um, quickly started playing like higher levels of that, that age group, joined Waterloo, which is the local club for me, um, and kind of grew from there. Obviously got brought in here when I was like 14, 15, that kind of age group Fergus was talking about before. Um, we had like a festival day here, I don't know if they still do the same thing now. Um, so we'd have been playing for Merseyside there. Um, and then it was kind of came through the the whole programme here since then. So it's went to under 16s, that programme played at the 18s, um, and obviously signed my, my pro deal just after that. Was it was there a moment in that that you thought, I, I can make this as a as a career? So at what point, because lots of people watch this whose kids do it for fun, and it's that, it should always be fun, in my opinion. Yeah, really. yeah absolutely. But then I wonder at what point it, it flicks and you think, well, this is getting serious. Well, for me, it's probably... Um, different from a lot of people because it was a lot later on than than I thought I always played because I enjoyed playing um, and even when I was playing at the 18s I had no real um, thought that I would go on to, to, to play uh, past that and even when I was initially offered that um, the, the chance to come here I wasn't like 100% that's what I'm going to do I've, I've got this opportunity I'm taking it um, there was a lot of thinking behind it because it was kind of completely away from what I'd already planned in my head I was like the university route and obviously it was quite difficult coming from like my school not many people actually although they played rugby weren't particularly engaged with rugby so it was kind of I was kind of looking forward to I suppose going away going to university enjoying that kind of thing and it was my parents who kind of said well you might never get this opportunity again let's let's take it so what's interesting about that is is maybe the as well the the geographical focus that you have I mean I, I'm fairly sure as a kid I probably went to watch sail against Waterloo at, at Haywood Road um, but how far are you spreading out now because as, as a premiership club you you have a lot of power but in quite a big area yeah as, well I suppose first and foremost in the academy we have our boundaries which each premiership team does so we have Cheshire Lancashire and then obviously um, Greater Manchester Merseyside um, and that's where, like I said before, the journey starts with the DPP. And we have six sites around those um, those areas. James, obviously, in the Merseyside one. Um, and that's where it's a lot of the reach starts with our players, um, with fans as well. Um, and um, being able to 
promote the pathway uh, with DPP and those centres as the start um, for these players. So you can only stick within those four counties, can you? Uh, yes, for in terms of academy and um, I d- talent ID uh, and almost recruitment, if you call it that, um, they're where the Northern Stars come from or Northwest Stars. That that's a bit. Of, I mean, that's a big thing in football, isn't it? About how you less how far you can spread yourself out, but how much you can stop the bigger clubs coming onto your territory. Yes, so for us, the signed children from 9 to 11 can be from an hour, uh, hour radius or 60 miles. From 12s up to 16, it then becomes an hour and a half. But obviously, we are fishing with the biggest clubs in the northwest. So you've got Liverpool, Man United, Man City, Everton. It's a really, really competitive area. Then you put in the, the club down the road from us, um, Preston, North End and people like that. It becomes really competitive. I think there's about 27 clubs that we're competing with for players. So it's a, a real challenge up to under Christ, 16. 27, 27 professional professional clubs. Only yeah. within football? Only with, just football itself. So it's really, really competitive. So if you're from a Category 3 club, so like a Morecambe, a Carlisle, uh, up to a Category 1 club with like a Man City, Man United, Liverpool, Everton. So there's a lot within that radius. So how 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 do you compete then? Uh, if you've got, a, if you, let's say they're 10, okay, and they're wanted by four or five clubs, how are you competing? So how we do things differently to other clubs is we won't sign loads of children. So at that age, you're allowed to sign up to 30 children. We would never do that. We'd only sign up between 10 to 14 children. So the, when the children do sign for us, they're part of our club, they're part of the family, they feel more loved. We understand the parents and the, and the, the child. So we go with a more of a unique uh, programme rather than it being try and get as many in. We try and go less in, but give them the love and hopefully take them all the way through. So that's where our unique selling point is really. How much did you feel like you belonged as soon as you walked through the door here? Yeah, I'd say it's always been pretty um, pretty close. To, I've always had good relationships with coaches, which I think is a, a big part of that and <coughs> how you feel coming in because that's kind of what you enjoy doing. You, you enjoy coming down, not only playing with players that you get on with, but also interacting with coaches that you get on with. So, yeah, always felt pretty comfortable here, to be fair. And how much, when when you go out into the community and you're looking for players, Sale's got a great name, obviously, and 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 the success of it within the within Premiership rugby. But how much, when you talk to to young players, when you talk to parents, does the fact that local boys have had a path through to the first team for many years help? It's massive, um, and it couldn't be any more prevalent at the moment with the approach or ethos that from the top down. Um, that there is an opportunity for Northwest young players coming through. There's a there's a pathway there. Um, I think at the moment, I think it was a few weeks ago we did 17 homegrown players within a 23 man squad uh, on a match day, which I think is almost unseen in football. Um, so that right there is is, is proof of where this club's going, um, and there's more more and more of a need each year for talent to keep coming through like we want to breed the best and brightest rugby players from the northwest um and having sail sharks as a vehicle is fantastic and that makes a big difference team i mean 17 of you are all from the same area roughly or have all come through an academy then that makes a hell of a difference doesn't it yeah, definitely. I mean, um, a lot of the boys I kind of played against growing up, again, like at school level, 
um, and then kind of Lancashire, Cheshire, can we played against each other, and then finally kind of played it all together at, um, at under 18s here at the academy. And there's quite a lot of lot of us that are still from that that kind of I would have been 17 and the year above me. Um, made up pretty much that full team at the time, and pretty much everyone in that team is still still here today. And I was um, speaking to Ferg not not long ago, saying that could well be we could make a full a full uh, 23 in the very near future. That'd be I mean, if you'd manage that, that would be a heck of an achievement, wouldn't it? Yeah, that'd be huge. Uh, it'd be massive for the club, be massive for the region. Um, but I will say it's it's a testament to the schools and clubs in the region, the players they produce. Like um, for when when did you start playing? You said you were late. Yeah, yeah, seven, so eleven, yeah, twelve, eleven, yeah. twelve. But so a lot of lads that have been at their local club at five, six years of age, and for these players to come all the way through. Um, and for that recognition, um, like it's class. I think Tristan Woodman, who's with the England 20s at the moment, he's done filed his whole way through, um, gone to uh, AKS uh, over in Lytham. Um, and you could see how proud they were just at the recognition that not only has he played in a Sale Sharks first team shirt, but he's also played for England under 20s. Uh, it's huge and we just want to be able to breed more and more of that every year. Were you doing other sports before you went to Year seven? Uh, no, I, to be honest with you, I wasn't like a particularly sporty growing right. up. Um, I never really interested in football, and that was kind of the the only other option available when like the school I went to a primary school. So, yeah, I wasn't wasn't massively interested. Because that, because that's the other thing in all of that. Not with not with James, obviously, but but we talk about Burnley competing with other football clubs. You are, I mean, you are competing with those same clubs, aren't you? Uh, or you might have yeah, lost yes, them. To... Yeah, yeah. No, we we are we are. Um, we have a lot of, and I suppose in our environment or in the rugby world, you you probably decide a lot later down the line. Um, we have a lot of players kind of under 16, 17, multi-sport. Um, I've had uh, everything from um, ice hockey to uh, cricket, like all these sorts of things. And where they'll play both rugby league, really common, where they're playing both. And then um, they decide a lot later in rugby union as to when they come. But... Um, do you encourage that? Do you, if if yeah. you've got a 16-year-old yeah. lad in the academy, do you go, mm. tell you what, go, if you are playing cricket for Cheshire as well, yeah. brilliant. Yeah. No, we, we do. We do um, very much encourage it. And it's interesting. We had some chats with like some of the first-team players, lads that haven't necessarily come through our academy. So like the Duprees, for example, um, water polo players when they were younger, like coming through and the skills that they took from that. And they've got fun, unbelievable hand-eye coordination for... Um, players that are so big and so powerful uh, and they display that on the pitch every week so yeah it's 100% something that we uh, we do encourage um, it does get to a point where they probably need to make a decision but that is purely down to player parents maybe as well um, firm belief that they've got to be the ones driving it um, I think if you're Selling it so much to try and persuade somebody to um, become a professional player or almost driving it for them, it doesn't work out well. The So many cases of the best lads that are transitioning through to the first team is because they are driving their journey. Like They're at the front of it. They're dictating what they're doing. They're asking all the questions. They're um, on the coattails of all the coaches, S&C practitioners, 
um, as to how they can get better. Water polo is the most dirty sport going as well, isn't it? It's more violent than rugby. Is is water polo? But you just can't see it below the surface. No, exactly. Um, do you do you encourage your kids to do other sports, or is it does it stop earlier? Yeah, we we love our kids to do other sports, but unfortunately, because of the program, they're in three nights a week and of a weekend so it's really hard for the children to do any other sports because of this they've got siblings and stuff so it's really hard for the parents in that moment to try and give them other sports we do put other sports into our program like thai boxing rugby uh remember gladiators from back in the the 90 we do like a gladiator evening with them handball but it's just more sports sampling than actually encouraging to other sports but if they do get representation of at a school to do rugby, so we've got one gifted rugby player at 16s, so he will play rugby as well as, as football. Uh, we've had some really talented cricketers, but ultimately they don't always tend to choose football at the end. Uh, but we, we do encourage them, but eventually the parents or the, the player will go, no, I want to focus on, on football now. The, the tendency, isn't it, if you, if you bring through a homegrown player like James, or if you do it in football as well, is you're going to save the club a lot of money because of the price of bringing players but I'm guessing putting players through these programs is not necessarily cheap but is it is probably more financially beneficial than bringing players in particularly when you work under a salary cap at first team level yeah 100% um, bringing homegrown players uh, through financially uh, no-brainer um, especially one where we're in a sport not if any make any money uh, very generous owners that are able to support us, um, but also the financial advantages around homegrown players, EQP credits, uh, all of that sort of thing, um, is a huge driver. So you get um, there are financial bonuses for bringing through domestic players. Yeah, there is, which um, result into the salary cap, um, which obviously, like you know, is dropped. Um, so every every penny counts, literally. And at Burnley, so yeah. W- We'd love to get homegrown players into the team. Uh, we try our best to get them up there, but the club will do what's right for the for the team at the moment. We don't have to have uh, homegrown players in our in our squad uh, next year. Hopefully, when we go through to the Premier League, I think it's seven homegrown players in the t- twenty-five name squad. So we do love to get a Dwight McNeil through. Uh, we do love to get these young players through, but it's getting harder and harder to get them through, especially as we win the Premier League. That that will be a real challenge for us. Was the transition from being in the academy and being a youth product to then going into the first team, Was that did, did that feel completely natural? Because I always look at I don't know, a 17 or 18-year-old kid who makes a, a rugby debut or a cricket debut or a football debut, I think, you must be absolutely bricking it. And then you talk to them and it's sort of, well, it's the most natural thing because you've, you've been taught it all the way through. Mm, I'd say it's definitely like a, a big change, a big kind of uh, culture shock coming in. That first few weeks, um, it's it's nothing like the the 18s program because you kind of at that point you're like top of the pile and you're coming in to um, to I suppose you're you're straight to the bottom and then you're working your way back up through that. And I'd say I'd, personally, you kind of feel I start feeling comfortable maybe in like my second year here. But I think that's kind of looking back. It's a good thing. You see boys coming in, you kind of think you need to go through that. I wouldn't say it's a hard time, but kind of it not not necessarily uncomfortable. Yeah, so you, you're slightly on, on edge for the first um, for your first year here, and I think that it kind of if it tests you to a point where you you become comfortable. So, what, yeah. what was the biggest difference there? 
Um, just kind of constantly, I wouldn't say looking over your shoulder, but like knowing that there's older boys there, kind of watching everything you're doing and making sure that you're, you're keeping your, your standards high because you can't cut any corners now, you know what I mean? So yeah, that's the, probably the biggest difference. You've got a smile on your face. Nice. Good listening uh, him reflect. I will say he's probably one of the like. And James got a very mature head uh, on his shoulders, but um, some of the kind of key qualities we look at with players: the further they go through the pathway, and all probably almost making that before making that decision at eighteen to go professional is like there's the standard ones of hardworking and respectful. But I suppose like what I alluded to before, how driven they are and big one how resilient resilient they are because in no way is a rugby journey kind of smooth sailing where you know every single thing that's going to happen along the way it's going to be term we use rocky road uh, you're going to have your setbacks and you want to know that kind of the players you're investing in uh, are that driven that any setbacks they're going to be resilient enough to to work through um, with the support of uh, the staff around them. I mean, do you test that scientifically at all? Or is that just on sort of gut feel and time with them and time with their support network and, yeah, probably, and so on and so Yeah, probably gut feel more than anything. Um, and getting to know the players. Um, try and do as much as we can from when we see them um, a lot more frequent and under 16. So there's like three years there. Um, speaking to uh, coaches, parents, that sort of thing. Um, and then you probably... The, the most learning you do with them is when you have them full time, like for those first um, two or three years, uh, and that's when you can really find out the uh, measure of the player, um, what he wants to achieve, and what he's willing to go through to achieve it. I suppose the reason I asked James about how how comfortable it was going from academy into first team is also to get an idea of from both of you, and you go first, Ferg, on how much what is done at academy level is set by the director of rugby or the the first team manager i this is how we're playing this is what we're doing etc cetera, etc cetera, and therefore you follow that all the way through or are you slightly separate because that director of rugby or manager can change at any time exactly that the latter it, it could and we're in a fantastic place with um, with al at the moment but from an academy perspective we're very much trying to um ingrain the basics keeping it fun keep um whilst keeping it fun um and challenging like that's got to be to see that development um but getting those basics and almost exploring with them what their point of difference might be to so that once they come in here they've got something which they're going to break through to the first team um so there wouldn't be a, a set way of playing um it would look very different yeah, in terms of us, we... Because you've had a big change, obviously. Yeah, well, we were very similar to, to Ferg here in the sense that we had some consistency. So Sean was with us for, I think, was it nine years? So there was a real consistency. And then obviously Vinny's coming this season and things have changed. The style's changed. Expectations have also changed. But also how they go about the work's changed. So the 21s will replicate the, the first team. But a lot of the players will also train in around the first team squad. So Vinny will train with around 30 players every day. So a lot of our players will go and sample it, feel it, smell it and be around it. So that's really, really important. So probably from under 18s, which is our full-time players upwards, we try and play to a similar style. 
but playing style doesn't necessarily produce players. Uh, so we have to give them a varied diet and give them opportunities to experience different things because we don't know what the game's going to look like in two years' time. Vinny might not be here in two years' time or four years' time, so we have to prepare him for what the game could look like. So we're trying to crystal ball, but also maximise every player's potential because a group will never come through. So it doesn't matter if the group play brilliantly, it'll only be one or two players are coming through. So you've got to focus on your players rather than your playing style and how you play. And just on skills and potential for, from all of you, are you, just on the football side of it, do you do at Burnley what the, the, the standard one is Ajax, isn't it? And they play, play their kids in all different positions through the first few years so they can get an experience in all different areas and then eventually decide where they're going to play do you do something similar or are you fairly are you fairly sure at eight or nine where someone's going to play yeah, i don't think you can be sure at eight or nine uh, what where they're going to play they've got characteristics that might uh say oh they could be good at this whether they're athletically quick or the size or whatever but we play loads and loads of games uh, from under nines all the way to under 16s to play two games a week and they play different formats. So they might play 7v7 and 9v9. They don't play the men's version of the game twice a week. So they get an opportunity to practice playing opposed and eventually that them skills will align to a certain position. Is that um, is it slightly different in in rugby? S slightly. Um, boys James we, wasn't tried out on the wing. or anything. Well, he started as an eight. Right. And then um, worked his way through. Did you go straight from eight to tight head? No, I played a bit of centre at school as well, but yeah. Right, there you, go, there you go, there you go. I need to see that to believe <laughs> <laughs> um, But yeah, <laughs> but the boys will, um, they'll play a, a number of positions like in the academy. It won't just be one. Um, and that allows them to get the feel. And if we think that they longer term, they may end up in a dis uh, different position. We might stop drip feeding that in uh, as the years go by what uh, kind of what age would that be or does it depend on the so individual? we have fixtures uh, academy fixtures at, um 16s 17s and 18s so at 16s when we get the first look at them uh, having come out the dpp and the first time they'll put an academy shirt on to play against another academy that's when we'll kind of start exploring really um with them and um i suppose one thing might be like the the frame that they have on them. So yeah. James always had a big frame, so kind of thought he'd end up in the uh, tight head position. Um, and yeah, just might just be a half here or there into those fixtures and letting them feel it out. Some of them might really back off and say, no, no, that's not for me. Or some might relish and take it on. Did you always know where you'd end up? Uh, I didn't, to be honest with you. Like, uh, even when I was at like, 18, I was obviously playing playing eight week in, week out, and it was kind of suggested that um, to, I could play tight head. And at, at the time, I didn't think much of it. And But as soon as I started doing it, I loved it, and that's all I wanted to do then, um, strangely enough. But um, <laughs> but such I think a, it's such a dark art. <laughs> I think the the useful thing how, is... How long, did it take, how long did it take to get used to the switch? Oh, it was a while. I, I was going to say because yeah. that's not. I mean, it's not like going from full back to centre, is it? I no, mean, there's no. a lot more to it than that. Yeah, it, it took it took a long time, and yeah, you, you have to play. You have to start low level and, and work your way up, especially because you're also making that transition from age grade rugby to men's rugby as well. So that's the other the other difference. So it's not easy, but it's a, um, a transition. I'm glad I made. Just what I was going to say was um, I think it is really good in terms of the the skill set you've then developed in another position is then quite useful, and I think you'll actually find quite a lot of um, of props that you'll speak to will have played 
in other positions and quite often back row because they they kind of have that um, skill set through playing that for years and are then able to add the scrum to that. So they've already got that good baseline where I think if you find a lot of props who've played prop all their life kind of don't always have that um, ability around the park as well because they've always just scrum, 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 which is obviously useful for some people, but I think it's... Uh, it's good to have that variety. Has that changed over the years? That that sort of flexibility and, and understanding other positions. Um, Is that rugby league has a lot of flexibility, doesn't yeah, it? it within does. so, within yeah. some of their um, positions. I don't think around prop you can kind of no. change uh, around there. Um, I definitely think the skill set of players one to fifteen like has gone through the roof dramatically, and it's because of that exposure at different positions. Say, so I think Carl Sinclair used to be a ten or something uh, at school. It was something like that. And then he made a um, real quick transition to uh, front row and he's got unbelievable skills. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, I suppose it goes back to those academy years where they get a taste and explore it, but they can also really develop a skill set um, for when they kick on further down the line, which becomes very, very useful. How, how much can you learn from each other and as well as learning from each other, are there are there other sports that you look at and think we can learn from that as well? We're trying to go into as many sports as you can. So this season I've been into British cycling. I'm going down to British gymnastics soon. Uh, but obviously we've created a link here with Fergus just to try and share loads of ideas. So the, the driver really was around the question around engaging Generation Z. So children now... Uh, information, everything they've got to hand, how do you create leaders, how do you create ownership, how do you create responsibility, accountability. So these are things that I think are really prevalent in rugby and culturally in rugby, it, these things are amazing and their children are really mature and take responsibility. So we're trying to learn as much as that. So things like the captain's run, we've started that at the club uh, and how to get uh, children to work out tactics and take ownership of a game. So these are the bits we're picking up and bouncing stuff off Fergus. Fergus has been into our club. I'm not sure what he's taken. Uh, he also came to a Premier League day that we hosted at the club as well. So Very good feed. It, it was <laughs> good. unbelievable. Good food. Yeah, that's one thing the Premier League are good at is providing a good spread. So, uh, yeah, well, I think the relationship's really good because ultimately it's, it's young people trying to be the best they can be in the sport. So we've taken loads from it already in this short time. Yeah, we have as well as um, myself and three or four of the coaches that have been down to Burnley, uh, observed, from, uh, observed them for the day. Um, you take away those like perception, I suppose, football academies with the amount of resource, investments, everything, uh, that far ahead and they're doing it on such a, I suppose, mass basis. Um, just the one-to-one -one conversations and experience with their coaches uh, has been invaluable and um, how they approach each age group because they start that much younger so they probably have a much more detailed insight whereas we're seeing them at 14 and then they're having more deeper conversations at 16. Um, yeah, we're taking loads from it. Have you always felt through this process that you've gone for through that you are responsible for your own decisions? And can make your own decisions because I think the point that Ian made is is it's such a thing that is thrown at modern sportsmen and women that everything is done for them so that then when there is a problem on the pitch they immediately look to a coaching bench for it to be solved. Yeah, I think um, it's always been the responsibility of the player to do pretty much and make every decision that there is. I mean, 
kind of get given the tools to do that. So whether that's like kind of S&C wise, nutrition wise, we get given that kind of support network there and also like advice if you need it. But at the same time, it's up to you. How are you going to actually, if you're going to take that on board, what you're going to do with that information you're given and how you're going to apply yourself to do those things. So it's definitely massive personal responsibility still now. Yeah. And and therefore, when you are involved in games, it's all right. If if you're giving them responsibility to make the decisions themselves, let's say under 16 level, if they lose, that's absolutely fine because they'll learn from it. It's not a win at all cost system, is it? 100%. Um, you learn so much from losing um, reflection. And for a lot of players that might have been in unbeaten school teams or unbeaten clubs, it might be their first experience of losing, um, which is huge. And uh, they're able to go through it together. Like We're massive on um, peer-to-peer coaching. Um, so they can help each other and uh, problem solve and get through those moments. Um, but yeah, it's, it's part of life, isn't it, losing? You've got to be able to go through some rocky roads to be able to come out the other side. And if they do it as a team, um, even better. You take a defeat yeah. against Blackburn under-16s as long as they learn something from it. Well, I'm not sure about Blackman on the sixteens, <laughs> but yeah, that, that was my former club, so we're trying not to uh, get beat by Blackburn. But yeah, every every day is a learning a learning day, so it's really important that they they learn how to dominate the one v one. And again, like going back to the previous point, it's around individual players, not teams. I think coaches uh, and parents sometimes get lost in the moment that game. They're not looking at two, three years down the line of, of how far that child has come or needs to go to become a professional. It's a, it's a team sport, but it's actually around the individuals coming out the other end of it for us. A final one to you on, on how, how special it feels with the relationship with the fan base when you are one of their own. Yeah, I mean, it, it is special. I mean, you get a lot of appreciation. It's really good to have have that, that base there. Um, you see the same faces every week and get a lot of congratulations, win or lose. So it's really good to, to know they're, they're there regardless. So it's, yeah, very special. And what, what targets have you set yourself going forward? Do you set yourself targets? Oh no, you'll be held, held accountable to those. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Stay in the grey. No, we, um, well, right, we've got a... Players uh, have to be accountable, not, <laughs> not, not the management. God no, God no. God no. Um, no, we're, um, like I said before, own, from owners um, all the way down to the staff. Like, we're so hungry to breed Northwest players. Um, we're so hungry... Um, Players now get such a sense of belonging, being around the facility, being around the club, uh, that they're so hungry to push through and represent uh, Sale Sharks as um, Northwest Club. So, um, targets, no. Head down, work hard, breed as many as we can, 100%. And hopefully get all 23 at one stage. That I mean, that really would be. Fingers crossed. Uh, thank you very much, Ferg, Ian, James. Thank you. You can have your you can have your sandwich. In each episode of Swimming the Sharks, we get to know one of the Sharks' uh, first team players a little more. Let's find out who it is this time. Hello, I'm Manu Tulangi, Sail and England Centre, and today we're getting to know our mate, our kid George Ford. Hello, I'm George Ford, Sail and England fly off. Uh, been interviewed today by the legend Manu Tuolangi. Right, let's get into it, our kid. What's your first memory of playing rugby? First memory is um, playing on the local f- uh, field with my two brothers, uh, going around, kicking the ball around, throwing the ball around, and then um, in Saddleworth. And then from there, all our mates came to join us from then on in. 
And it's sad with actually didn't have a youth team at the time, but because all our mates came down, we actually created the first youth team. So it's quite a special memory that really. Um, that I started with our brothers, but we ended up creating the uh, the first team. And now they've got a George Ford Cup. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> um, did he always wanted to be a professional rugby player? Yeah, I think I think I did. Um, obviously, I grew up watching my dad play first and foremost, even though I was very young. And then he obviously went into coaching, but um, just seeing him play and coach and being exposed to that environment. Um, with my two brothers give me a taste for it and then from then on in really that's pretty much what I wanted to do um, what's the biggest childhood influence our kid uh, definitely my brothers and my parents um, obviously the, the influence my brothers had with them two playing as well um, and then they both got into coaching now funnily enough but uh, that's obviously who I first started playing rugby with so the influence they had on us was massive and then my parents for the commitment and sacrifice in allowing us to do that taking us everywhere and and uh, giving us the opportunity to start playing rugby the influence they had was um, was incredible for us and you, you'll be coaching as well after your career kid uh, hopefully yeah <laughs> sail England coach one day <laughs> no, no. do you fancy it or just not? get me some tickets mate <laughs> <laughs> That's the, uh, what's the best piece of advice you've ever had? Um, so the best piece of advice would be, no matter if something uh, negative or positive has happened in a rugby aspect, in terms of you might have had a poor game, you might have had a brilliant game, um, it shouldn't change the way you go and prepare for that next week. So you're going to go and turn up on a Monday morning and do what you do and try and prepare as well as you can regardless. And that that was a massive message to me because um, it sort of takes the roller coaster ride out of it, keeps you a lot more neutral and it makes you who you are. You go in there every week and do what you do, um, which hopefully brings some consistency. Career highlight. Um, it's a few and it's whenever we've won something with them teams or... Um, obviously a couple of premierships with Leicester one with you our kid yes um, Grand Slam with England um, and a couple of Six Nations but yeah I think they're the memories because not, not only because it's just the trophy but it's obviously like the uh, the journey you go on with them that group of players and them staff that's what means the most to me um, just uh, doing it together any superstitions our kid um, no, I won't call superstitions, no, but I'm very, I'm very <laughs> organised, um, probably OCD a little bit, very, very clean, I like things to be in order, I like to know where things are, if, if for whatever reason that isn't the case, then that would bother me a little bit, definitely, so, yeah, I'm definitely, um, uh, like to be organised. And the opposite. <laughs> Best thing about being a shark? Uh, the best thing about being a shark is, is genuinely the, the environment and the people that are here. Uh, I've probably never been in an environment like this, a club like this, where uh, people genuinely enjoy being around each other on and off the field um, and how uh, people love coming to work each day, um, have a laugh along the way. We have lots of laughs, don't we? But I think I've obviously switched... Switch, uh, flick the switch. Sorry, at the right time as well in terms of 
training, preparing and trying to be as good as we can be. Um, and obviously we're up north. This is where I'm from, representing the, the north is a big thing. Back home, lad. Back home, No mate. brainer, lad. Eventually, it took me 30, <laughs> yeah. 13 years. Yeah. Any hobbies outside the game for you? Um, Apart from uh, the king of uh, Saddleworth? <laughs> well, you, you as along with uh, a few other lads, when we was at Leicester, got we got into the coffee scene quite a bit, didn't we? Matamur. Matamur, he was the one who... I don't want to say his Uber. nickname on here. Yeah, no, I don't say his <laughs> But yeah, obviously, like, I, I love everything in, in and around um, making coffee and the social aspect of having a coffee with everyone. Um, what other things do I like to do? Um, I've got two little French Bulldogs. I love them to bits, spending time with them, walk, going on dog walks with them. Uh, play a little bit of golf, but only in the summer when it's sunny. So, yeah, they're, they're the things, really. What's your um, handicap bar, kid? Uh, 16. Fuck, that's good, mate. Yeah, that's not good, mate. I don't have one. <laughs> um, any unusual talents that we... Uh... Um, no, I don't think any unusual talents. No, again, I've touched on it a bit earlier, but... I suppose a hobby of mine and something I've always got to do every time I go home is, I don't know, this sounds a bit ridiculous, but I've got to do some sort of tidying or cleaning up. And it's like a bit of a switch off for me. So, like, some things don't even need tidying or cleaning. Um, and this this is news, I'm probably quite good at it as well now, but, like, I've got to do 10, 15 minutes something but I can sit down and relax. I've always been like that, and it's probably only... Um, I've probably only realised it in the last few years that it's something I do to switch off, yeah. So, yeah. If anyone needs a cleaner or a, or a barista, then. Yeah. <laughs> um, last thing, tell us something we don't know about you. Um, well, I got married in August. Um, yes. And I'm sure everybody knows that, but my wife's, um, she's originally from Kosovo, so a um, little place north of Albania, which um, she ended up coming over here, I think when she was three or four, um, because there was a war a little bit similar to what's going on in Ukraine and Russia now with Kosovo and Serbia, and um, she ended up coming over here and ended up in Oldham of all places. So um, the funny thing probably about it is the way I met her was... Um, I was the landlord of a building and she opened a restaurant in the building so she she was the tenant and I was the landlord so <laughs> <laughs> and then four years later it's we perfect. married it's so, a uh, perfect recipe isn't it? Aye, kid. that's that's what uh, yeah probably people don't know about about me but it's an interesting story it's, it's very interesting it's amazing <laughs> thanks Aki. everything happens for a reason exactly, Aki, yeah, it? exactly. Yeah, that's us today. Uh, thank you for your time, our kid. We're going to hand it over back to Big Dog Chappers. <laughs> and that's it. Thanks for listening. I'll be back next month with another episode. In the meantime, to find out more about the club or let us know what you want to hear on this pod, you can find Sale Sharks on Instagram or Twitter.